We've been uh, looking at prayer for the last few weeks, you might have noticed, um, and today is the culmination of all of that with the obvious place to land this series, which is the prayer that Jesus taught us, the model of prayer that Jesus gave us. Um, and I, I suspect that a couple of your hearts will have sunk, because it's a prayer that, it's some text that we're very familiar with, isn't it? And it's probably not text that you find particularly transformative in your life. Um, but actually, I, I am somebody that prays this prayer most days, and I don't pray that to, to boast. I am a, I'm terrible at my discipline when it comes to prayer and Bible reading. I, I had to really steel myself. To, I had to give oaths uh, when I got ordained to the effect of praying daily. And I had to pray that in faith. <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't say that with, uh, with any sense of, oh, I'm so great at praying. But I have found this prayer really transformative for me. Um, and so my prayer this morning is that uh, that would be the same for you. Um, so let me pray to that end briefly, and then we'll read the passage. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us the gift of insight into you, your love for us, um, and the hope of your kingdom this morning, that uh, you would orientate our lives towards you um, as we uh, study your word and as we pray and as we pray throughout this week and on into the future. Fill us by your spirit. Amen. So let's pick up the, the, uh, the passage at chapter 6, verse 5. We're landing in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Which covers chapters five to seven, so that gives you just a tiny bit of context, which we'll talk a bit more about. And Jesus says, "And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your heavenly Father who is unseen." Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. A little later this week, uh, Miriam and I are going to be hosting a dinner for uh, folk that are new to the church. Um, and on Wednesday evening, if you see me running up the road, uh, up St. Margaret's, and you say, hey, Jez, where are you off to? Um, there will be a number of levels on which I might answer that question. Uh, at one level, I might say, hey, I'm off to Tesco. I might say, oh, I'm going to get some double cream. I might say, well, I'm going to get some double cream because we're having brownies for dessert for this dinner party, and we've run out of double cream. Um, I might even say, I'm, I'm going to get something that will enable newcomers to the church to feel welcomed and valued and will stick around as part of uh, the church. Um, 
life happens on lots of different levels, doesn't it? There's the, the tangible, immediate, uh, relatively meaningless levels, and then there's the unseen but very meaningful levels. Life uh, exists on all of these levels, and, and the only time that we generally actually explore all of these levels is when there's a three-year-old in front of us going, why, why, why? Got that to uh, await me in about three and a half years, uh, three and a half years time. Yes. Now, at that point, I might have said to you, "Well, I'm now just off to Tesco," and you would know the immediate of what I'm doing. But none of why that's a meaningful thing for me to be doing. Not that we ever know why it's meaningful to go to Tesco. Um, on the other hand, um, I might, at the other end of the spectrum, say, "Well, I'm." I'm, I'm on a little mission to make a bunch of people feel welcomed and valued by the church, in which case you'd probably think I was a bit of a nutter. Um, you would know the meaning, but no, have no sense of why that put me running up St. Margaret's Road. And if I was to sit you down and explain all the links in the chain, um, you would maybe regret the fact that you hadn't pretended to not see me and <laughs> it passed. And I should probably assure you that if you do spot me in the street, I don't go through quite this amount of torture about the simplest little questions you might ask me. But it is one of life's challenges is uh, to do both the keeping the end, start, start with the end in mind, as how Stephen Covey would put it, keeping that big picture in mind, and yet also keep that uh, related to the, the daily steps that we take um, in corporate terms, we talk about vision, don't we? That sense of, of the vision that the company might have and the challenge to connect that vision to, you know, that all of the sort of bits and bobs that might be done right down to the factory floor. And, of course, the irony of the word vision is it's the one thing that you can't see. That's the challenge also for Christians. How do we uh, go about our daily normal lives while keeping in mind the big picture uh, of our faith. Uh, how do we remember both the dinner party we're throwing that night and the big banquet that uh, awaits us in the restoration of all things? Paul talks about how we are to fix our eyes on the unseen. And I love that phrase. I love the, the sort of obvious illogical element there. You can't fix your eyes on what you can't see. This is the challenge that we're faced with. He says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And that's what the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer does for us. It makes us pause. In fact, all prayer does this. It makes us pause uh, along the road and remember the unseen reality, the meaning that actually put us there. It takes us out of our small stories and into the big story of God. Um, and of course, it's vital that we manage to do that because when we don't do that, life starts to become all about me, doesn't it? And that's the context of uh, the Lord's Prayer. It appears twice, uh, once in Matthew, once in Luke. Luke is a slightly edited version of it. But it, in, in Luke, it happens fairly shortly after the disciples have been walking along the road and they've been arguing about who's best. 
like a bunch of children. Who's I'm the best? And you can imagine Jesus going, oh, you still haven't got it. And eventually they turn to him and say, well, Jesus, tell us, how, how, how do you pray? Tell us how to pray. And, of course, on one level, there is no how to pray. You just pray. Uh, part of the point that Jesus makes uh, is that there are, there are no special postures that you might need to put yourself in. There's no hocus-pocus language that you have to say in order to be, hear, to be heard by God. But Jesus shows them how to pray. He demonstrates how to pray in a way that puts egg on their face. It's, uh, he demonstrates the corrective to the whole way that they've been living their lives. In effect, he says, you're living your daily life about me, but actually when you pray, everything comes up, becomes about God and his kingdom. In, um, in Matthew, which is the version of the Lord's Prayer that we're looking at this morning, uh, the Lord's Prayer comes bang in the middle of this thing called the Sermon on the Mount, which is, in Matthew, the first of five big sermons that Jesus gives. And this is really Jesus launching his bid to, uh, for this, uh, the leadership of the new kingdom of God, um, if that's not language that makes you twitch a little bit right now. And I think I'd say that one of the biggest insights that I've had in, in looking at this stuff this week is how embedded the Lord's Prayer is in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you're looking for something to to study this week in your time uh, with the Lord, then you could do a lot worse than the Sermon on the Mount, reflecting on the Lord's Prayer and how the Lord's Prayer sits as the centerpiece of it. It'll only take you about seven minutes to read the whole thing. So you could even potentially read the Sermon on the Mount every day this week as a challenge for you. So the Lord's Prayer sits in the middle of this sermon, and the sermon is all about how, uh, how it is all about otherness in some ways. Those opening sentences, which are famous, focus on us on other people in many ways. Uh, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the cheesemakers. I mean, sorry, the peacemakers. Um, secondly, uh, there's also that sense uh, here of, of being centered not just on other people, but on God. And I mean that secondly in the chronological sense, in, in what Jesus deals with. It's primary, really, of course. Uh, but one of the mantras of the, of the sermon is, seek first his kingdom. He says, do not worry about uh, saying, what, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Embedded in there is this other element um, of trust, that the Christian life is, a, is fundamentally a posture of trust in a God who gives good things. Um, so, the Lord's Prayer is really about how we express this humble, trusting, seeking after God's kingdom in our prayer lives and how we enable that to orientate our, all of our life towards that goal. How we fight off the agenda that is put in front of our eyes the whole time, encouraging us to think about ourselves, think about me. So we're going to go through 
uh, the prayer, just uh, phrase by phrase. <clears throat> We're going to treat it as really being in three sections. Uh, the first section uh, is just the address, which gives us the sort of posture of what prayer is supposed to look like. Uh, then the second bit is what we might call the big story. And this is the bit that reminds us of the goal, the motive, the agenda, ultimately, of our prayer. And then thirdly, uh, there is the, what you might call the little story. Uh, what do our daily lives look like when they're placed within that big story? So firstly, that posture. Uh, our Father in the heavens. Firstly, there's that, simply that idea that we're praying to a Father. This is, this is a unique idea um, in the ancient Near East. Um, he, and Jesus pounds it 17 times. He talks about our Father in the Sermon on the Mount. Seven times just within our reading. You might have noticed it. But this is in a world where all the gods are to be feared. Um, they're only to be approached with the, the right incantations. Um, they're volatile, selfish. They're, they're hungry for sacrifice. And Jesus says, no, you're coming to a father uh, who loves you and loves to give good gifts to his children. Which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a 